0: Well, it's a whole load of new things going on at the moment. New service times um, are starting today. Uh, Next week... We thought we'd change the service times again. No, just joking, just joking. That's a joke. Take that off the tape. Uh, Next week, we're starting a new series, a brand new teaching series based on the life of Joseph, one of my favourite biblical characters that I don't think we've ever done uh, a series on. And and the the good thing about that, or the the different thing about that, is not only are we going to do that here, but our youth and children over the back, wherever they were going to be, they are going to be also looking at the same themes that we're looking at. So as families, together, you'll be able to talk uh, over the lunch table or whatever about what we're learning together as we look at this new series called Life is Not a Dress Rehearsal and looking at the, the life of Joseph from the Old Testament. Now when it comes to the concept of new, I thought I'd talk about new with you a little bit this morning because some people have different approaches and attitudes to the whole concept of new. Some people I, I want to call suckers because they're suckers for anything new. So if it's new, it has to be bought. If it's new, it has to be had. So you've got a phone and you're really happy with your phone, but if there's a new one, your old one suddenly, I just can't, you do a thing on this. Do you know what I mean? It's just so slow, it just won't do a thing. You know, I've got to have that new one. You're not not really looked into it, but you know that you have to have it because it's new. Anyone know what I'm talking about? None of you admit it that you're in that category, but some of you probably are. You're a sucker for anything new. You don't care what it is. It's new. It's got to be good. Some people are a little more suspicious when it comes to new If it's new, it must be up to no good. It's like newfangled. In fact, I heard, I heard a true story of a church not a million miles away from here. There's an Anglican church, been around a thousand years, the building, old Norman building, and uh, they didn't have toilets in it. And because it's a grade one listed building, you can't just make any alterations. You have to go through a whole load of rigmarole, get permission from the government and, and, and all of this. And they were having an open meeting talking about wanting to put toilets into this building that had been here for a thousand years. And so when you have a public meeting like that on one of these old buildings, lots of people come out the woodwork who are interested in the building not necessarily the church and there were lots of other people at the meeting and so it was being talked about putting toilets in the building and somebody stood up and I kid you not said these exact words said toilets we haven't had them for a thousand years why do we need them now and I wanted to say because a thousand years is a long time not to go to the toilet isn't it but some people are suspicious about anything that's new it must be no good some people go beyond suspicious and they're cynical New, it's not new, I've seen it all before. And they would quote this verse from the Bible, there is nothing new under the sun. And that cynical kind of view about new can translate into how we view life as well. Some people view life so cynically that they think nothing good is going to happen, nothing new is going to happen, nothing fresh is going to happen. I don't know whether any of you uh, are old enough to remember the film in the 80s, City Slickers. Anyone remember that film? Great film if you haven't seen it, about some guys in their 40s, hit that 40 midlife crisis, American guys, and they all head out west to be cowboys to try and work through their midlife crisis. But the one guy is talking to his kids before he heads out, and he's giving them his philosophy on life and on the whole attitude to new. And this is a little bit cynical. Let me read what he said. He says this to his children, his poor, impressionable children that are sat in front of him. He says this value this time in your life, kids, because this is the time in your life when you still have your choices it goes so quickly when you're a teenager you think you can do anything and you do your 20s are a blur your 30s you raise your family you make a little money and you think to yourself what happened to my 20s your 40s you grow a little pot belly breathe in and you grow another chin the music starts to get too loud and one of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother Your fifties, you have a minor surgery. You'll call it a procedure, but it's a surgery. Your sixties, you have a major surgery. The music is still loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anymore. (laughs) Seventies, you and the wife retire to somewhere. You start eating dinner at two, lunch around ten, and breakfast the night before. And you spend most of your time wandering around shopping malls, looking for the ultimate in soft yogurt, uh, and muttering, how come the kids don't call? By your 80s, you've had a major stroke. You end up babbling to some nurse who your wife can't stand, but who you call mama. And then they said to these kids, any questions? So like that was his philosophy on life. That was his attitude to new. That was his attitude to life. Really cynical. There's a guy in the Bible who thousands of years ago also wrote a philosophical piece analyzing his attitude towards life. And I want to speak about that with you this morning because I want to say a few controversial things. Some of you, okay, will immediately, as I'm saying some of these things, want to bail out because you're thinking, oh, he's, he's a heretic, you know, he's saying some things against the Bible. I want to encourage you, don't bail out yet, wait until I've finished. If you want to bail out then, go ahead. Is that okay? But don't bail out early because I want to say some things about this because I think we have to understand what this guy is saying and what he's not saying. So here's some thousand-of-year-old philosophy on life, okay, on life and especially on the concept of new and it's written by one of the guys in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible and this is what he says, And this is really going to make your day today so uplifting this is, this is what he says, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless, what do people gain from all their labours of which they toil under the sun, generations come and generations go but the earth remains forever, the sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing. Some of you are really uplifted. I can feel it in the room. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, "Look, this is something new. Ha, it was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. How many of you are feeling good right now? Yeah? Should we finish it there? Uh, and this passage of scripture, because it's in the Bible. It's like a philosophy, it's like an approach, like a view of attitude towards life. But this is where I have the problem. It's written in the Bible, so that's important. But I have a problem with all of that as I read it at face value, because I believe that God is a God of the new. And yet this guy is saying that there's nothing new under the sun. And yet I passionately believe when I look at the Bible, when I look at life, that God is a God of the new. You see, God started a new world after the great flood with Noah and his family. God started a new family with Abraham and his uh, family and descendants. God started a new nation. God started a new kingship with David and his descendants. Then when Jesus came along, the Bible calls that the new covenant. And then one of the writers in the New Testament, Paul, he says, when you give your life to Jesus and you become a Christian, you become a new what? Creation. And the Bible says right at the end, he's making all things new, it says in Revelation chapter 21. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So I'm struggling with this guy that writes all this stuff saying there's nothing new under the sun with my understanding that God is a God of the new. So what's happening here? How do we understand these words? Well, we need to understand who wrote them. And the guy that wrote these words was a guy called Solomon. Solomon was the son of David who was the king. And uh, one day God said to Solomon, you can have anything you want. Imagine that. That's like the archetypal genie in the bottle thing, isn't it? You know, you can have one wish, you can have anything you want. And Solomon didn't ask for wealth, he didn't ask for fame, he didn't ask for power, he didn't ask for any of those things. He asked for one thing. He asked for the thing that Rachel spoke about last Sunday morning, if you were here. He spoke, he asked for wisdom. And God gave him wisdom, and because God gave him wisdom, and certainly early on in his life and in his kingship, he handled it well. He didn't later on, but he handled it well. Because he gave him this wisdom and he handled it well, what actually happened is that Solomon got all the other things as well. So what Solomon got was he got every single thing that mankind looks for on the earth. He had women. Do you know how many women he had? A thousand wives. That's scary to me. A thousand wives. So when it comes to sex and pleasure, physical pleasure, I think he covered all those bases. He had more money and wealth than anyone else in the world at that time. He had more power and more influence. He had wisdom. He had achievement. He had success. He had fame. He had popularity. He had celebrity. He had everything mankind wishes for. And do you know what he says? It's all meaningless. There is nothing new under the sun. <laughs> And this is interesting, and when you dive into these these verses, it talks about that word meaningless in the original language. Literally means it's it's like a vapour, it's like a mist, it just disappears. And what he's saying is this, he says, listen, I have tried it all. Money, sex, power, knowledge, achievement, fame, nothing works to fill the gap that you've got inside of you because you're looking for something to make life feel meaningful. And he says, and I've tried it all and it don't work. I've tried it all. And there's nothing new. It all feels old. New ideas, no, they feel old. Fashion, no. old. New fashion is often old-fashioned, recycled. New ideas, no. It's all old. And he says this incredible phrase then, there is nothing new under the sun. But here's the point. He's right and he's wrong. He's right as you look at it like that because there is nothing new under the sun. But here's the thought for you this morning. There is nothing new under the sun... But our hope isn't under the sun anyway. There is nothing new under the sun, but beyond the sun, all things are new. You see, outside a relationship with God, you are destined for a life of endless repetition of the old. Nothing will really ever feel new outside of a relationship with God. And so that's where this whole passage of scripture comes alive for me. It's like Solomon was saying, I've tried it all and it don't work. It ain't new. It might satisfy you for a bit, but it won't ultimately satisfy you. Only a relationship with God will bring newness into your life. Because our hope isn't under the sun. Our hope is beyond the sun, isn't it? And God, who is beyond the sun, came into our humanity and gave away through Jesus. We'll talk about that in a moment. Whereby we can be connected to the life of God. And then we can experience every day, the Bible says, new mercies. Isn't that wonderful? So every day we can experience new mercies because we're connected to a relationship with God who is not under the sun but beyond the sun. And there's something else that's interesting about this, that even even things under the sun take on a whole different dimension when you're connected to the one who is beyond the sun. You see, when you're connected to God, see, I don't need a thousand women because God gives me eyes for my wife. I don't need a million pounds because God gives me that sense and that understanding and assurance that he will supply my daily bread. I don't need to um, <coughs> you know, have, have all the kind of um, stuff that people ask for. I don't I need fame or achievement because if I have God, he gives me purpose and meaning. So the key to new is not a something but a someone. And I could say to you this morning, I went through this whole thought process. Okay, I could do five principles of how you can experience new in your life. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. Because the key to new is not a something. The key to new is a someone. When you are connected to the life of God, all things become new. Even everyday things, even old things can become new. They can have a new meaning. They can have a new dimension. Because you are connected to not the under the sun hope, but you're connected to the beyond the sun hope. And that's God. So when you're connected to the life of God, all things can become new. So what we need if we want a new experience in our life is we need to connect again to the life of God. And what I want to do with you this morning in this next five or ten minutes um, is just talk to you about two people in the New Testament who had encounters with Jesus, that encounters with God and those encounters brought them into a relationship with God and all of a sudden everything in their life became new again. So the first one. I call it the woman at a well. And you'll know the story, some of you, very well. This is in John chapter 4. And um, just try and picture the scene. She's, she's uh, looking out through the window. <clears throat> it's approaching noon. Very hot in, in this part of the world. Sun's really hot. Nobody's out at noon time because the sun's too hot. She looks out just to make sure there's nobody outside the house, nobody in the street, because she wants to go out in the street, but she doesn't want anyone else to see her. So she nervously opens the door and she steps out. And she looks around and she walks down the street and she sees nobody's there. Great. And she's got a, a pitcher of water, okay, a jug of water, of, of, full water in her hand. And she's heading into the town square. She's heading to the well and she needs some water. She's heading out at noonday because she doesn't want anyone else to see her. Because you see, for her, her whole life is old. Her head is, hang, is hanging down. She's got a reputation in the town. She's had five husbands and the man that she's living with now is not a husband. And in that part of the world, in that community, that's a massive stigma. So for her, her whole life, relationally, in every way, is all old. It's all old. And she heads down towards the, um, the, the well and thinks, great, nobody's here. I can get there. I can get the water and I can head back and everything will be fine. I can shut the door and I can just go on with the old again, with the old life that I'm living. And just do the best I can with the old life. But then as she gets to the well, she notices that there's a man sat on the wall by the well thinks, well, that's a bit weird. Hey, there's a man there. I mean, women pick the water. What's he doing there? And as she gets towards it, he turns to her and he engages her in conversation. And then she realises that not only is he a man, but he's a Jewish man. Not only is he a Jewish man, but it sounds like he's a rabbi, he's a teacher. Now, those three things are freaking her out. Because it's like men don't talk to women and Jews don't talk to Samaritans. She's a Samaritan. That's another kind of tribe, if you like. It's another ethnic group. And they were really at war with one another. A lot of enmity and hostility towards them. They never spoke to each other. And yet here's this Jewish man speaking to her. And he's a rabbi and a teacher. And he's speaking to me. And I'm a sinful woman. I'm a woman that's, that's got all this old relationship and baggage. And here's the interesting thing is, out of the conversation, he, he starts talking to her about water, which she's come for. And then he says, actually, you're not really looking for water, are you? You're looking for something much more than that. You're looking for something deeper than that. You're looking at new. You're looking for a new experience. You're looking for a new reality. And he says, do you know what? You can find that, not in that well, but in a relationship with me. And the amazing thing is that at the end of that conversation, as she gets up, she runs back into the town and she starts talking to people who previously she wouldn't have talked to because she was so nervous and embarrassed. She starts talking to these people and she invites them to come and listen to this guy. And here's the interesting thing. When you have an encounter with Jesus Sometimes, you know, nothing on the outside changes, but everything on the inside is new. So nothing's different on the outside. She's still with this other fella. Who knows what happens there? We don't know. Nothing's different on the outside, but on the inside, everything's new. Because Jesus, by the way, makes all things new. Did you know that? Jesus makes all things new. And when you have an encounter with Jesus, no matter who you are and where you are, all things can become new. Now, the second story I want to think about is not a woman at a well, but it's a man at a temple. And this is in Luke chapter 6. And I will read this to you. Uh, If you've got a Bible, you might want to follow it from verse 6. And this is a very interesting story. I spoke about this probably a year or so ago, but I keep coming back to it because there's such a lot in it for me. And it says this, On another Sabbath, he, that's Jesus, went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled, or it might say in your version of the Bible, withered. So he had like a disability in his hand. It was withered. It was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man, you see, what they're trying to do is they're trying to catch him out. Because under the law of of, of the the religious law, you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. And they cast healing as work. So they were trying to catch him out. Is he going to heal on the Sabbath? We'll catch him if he does. And he knew what they were thinking. So he said to the man with a shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there, then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy? It? In other words, which is more important, keeping the rules or doing something that's right? That's what he's saying. Then he says, he looked around at them and then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. His hand was made new. It's amazing. He did so. His hand was completely restored, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Before we get to the man with the withered or the shriveled hand, I want to just say a few things about the Pharisees and the teachers. You see, those guys are guardians of the old, okay? So they were set there, and what they felt was really important was they didn't kind of want anything new. They didn't want any new gifts or any new boxes, okay? Because they had enough with the old. And what their aim in life was was to protect the old so it couldn't be corrupted. Now, can I just say there's nothing wrong with the old, especially when it comes to the things of God. In fact, we've forgotten some of the old things that we shouldn't have forgotten. So there's nothing wrong with the old. But here's the thing. When you protect the old so much that you don't ever engage with the new experience of God, what happens is that you become disconnected from the life of God and all you're doing is holding on to an old system rather than experiencing a relationship with God. Spiritual life is not about how much knowledge about God you have. Spiritual life is not about how much effort you put in for God. Spiritual life is all about how much you know God. And that's a current reality, not an old experience. And these Pharisees had allowed themselves to get disconnected from the life of God. And they were so into holding on, guarding the old, that it was like concrete was being poured over their heart. And their heart had become hard and cold. Now, it's possible even in churches for people to get like this. And let me tell you what happens when people get like this. What happens is that they get themselves into a place where they watch but don't engage, they observe but don't invest, and they look only to try and find fault. Now, you might think that would never happen in a church. Let me tell you, it can happen. Where we, over time, can get to a place where all we do is we watch but we don't engage We observe but we don't invest and we look only trying to find fault. When that's happened, what has happened really is that we've got disconnected from the life of God. We're just guardians of the old and nothing new under the sun lives in that world. But when you get connected to the life of God, all things become new. What I love about this church is so many older people in this church are so still connected to the life of God. So when they see new people coming in and they see us doing new things and changing new things, they don't get all uppity about it. They get really celebratory about it because they recognise that God's doing some new things. And it's not about the old, it's about engaging with the new in such a way that more and more people meet God. That comes when your life is connected to the life of God. But when you're disconnected from the life of God, your heart can get hard really easily and really quickly. And only an encounter with Jesus can change that. Because, by the way, Jesus makes all things new. So then we come to this man with a withered hand. Now, I, I like this man because he's a little bit like the woman at the well. No name, but with a really interesting story. See, both of these, the guy and the girl, that, that, we don't know their name, but they had a really interesting story. W- what's happening to this man? I mean, from what we can read here, he, he, he doesn't speak in the story at all. It looks like he's on the edge. He's around the temple life, so he's obviously got some kind of religious kind of uh, yearning and desire. But he's on the edge. He doesn't really step in. It's like life happens to him and around him, but it doesn't happen in him and through him. Have you ever felt like that? (laughs) That you're you're watching in on stuff and you can see life around you and life happens to you, but it kind of doesn't feel like it's happening in you and through you. And then this withered hand, this shriveled hand on his right hand, which is really important in in, in Jewish culture, um, could that be an outward expression of what might be happening inside of him? I wonder whether if you live your life like that, where you get passive, because he's a passive man, and life is happening to you and around you, but not in you and through you, do you actually get to a stage where actually your heart gets a little bit withered and shriveled as well? And could that outward physical thing just be a reflection of what might be going on inside of his heart? And Jesus does something really pastorally insensitive. Am I allowed to say that about Jesus? But he is really, because he says to him, okay, here's this man with this withered hand, which is a disability in these days. And what what we would do is we say, right, we want to pray for you, but we need to do it quietly. We need to do it discreetly, because we don't want to embarrass you. Okay, so we'll take you out into another room uh, uh, and out on the side. But he doesn't do that. He gets him to stand right in the middle of everyone. And then even more than that, worse than that, he asks him to, ha- to stick out the bit that's withered and shriveled. And as he reaches, because what Jesus is doing is this, he notices that this man has got disconnected from the life of God and has become passive. Can I say to you guys, and I want to say this with all passion and intensity, it's really possible for Christians to get passive in their relationship with Jesus. So you might come to church, you might go to life group, sing some songs, but you've got passive. And when you get passive, things wither. Your heart withers, your faith withers, you get passive. So, Jesus says, the way to get out of passivity is to be active and to do something. So, he says, So, reach out that bit that's gone passive. And as he reaches out that hand that's gone passive, he heals him and makes his hand new. But even more important than that, I think something's gone on inside this guy's heart. I think his heart's got new now as well. And as he walks out of that temple, I can just imagine he's got a new hand, but he's got a new heart. Because, did you know, Jesus, by the way, he makes all things new. So what about you this morning? Where are you at? What about you? Are you like that woman at the well? Perhaps you feel that your head is hanging low, that relationally your whole life, that there's nothing new. And what you need more than anything else is to look up and to have a fresh encounter with Jesus, because he makes all things new. Perhaps you actually like the Pharisees. And you've allowed yourself to get like that kind of on the edge, a little bit of the guardian of the old. You've got disconnected from the spiritual life of God. You watch, but you don't engage. You, in, you observe, but you don't invest. You look just to find fault and that life-giving relationship. And Jesus said to these guys, listen, you search the scriptures because you try and get life, but actually life comes from me and you won't come to me. It's not about how much you know, it's about who you know. Are you like the Pharisees and you need to open up and let God begin to pour his spirit and break open some of that hardness that might have got in your heart? Or are you like the withered man that didn't only have a withered hand but perhaps a withered heart and what you might need to do is to start being passive and to reach out and let Jesus touch you because when you do, do you know what? Jesus makes all things new. Isn't that amazing? So what we're going to do is we're going to pray and then in a few moments we're going to Do something that Christians and people have done for centuries. We're going to do something which is called communion. Basically what this is, is bread and juice. It speaks of the body and the blood of Jesus. That when Jesus died on the cross, um, what he did is he died on the cross and he was broken and he, he died. And on the third day after he died, he rose again. And something really interesting happened. That in the temple, there was a bit in the temple where where there was what they called the holy of holies, which was where where they said God lived. That's where real spiritual life was. And there was a big uh, curtain in front of it. But when Jesus died, something amazing happened. That temple ripped in two. It was like a symbol of the fact that by Jesus, what Jesus done is he's made a way for us to be connected again to the life of God. And when you're connected to the life of God, He makes all things new. So we're going to celebrate that and we're going to remember that. But If I ask the band to come back up, but before we do that, we're going to pray. So why don't we pray? And I want to give you an opportunity this morning just to pause and to bring yourself before God right now. And It may be this morning that you're like that woman at the well and you're sat there and, you're, and you're, your head is hung low and that's how you live life and, you, and your kind of, if you like, mantra is nothing ever will change. It's just the same old recycled. I want you to look up this morning because your hope isn't under the sun. Your hope is beyond the sun. Your hope is Jesus who's come from heaven to earth, have a relationship with you. And he declares over your life, all things can be new. So perhaps that's you this morning. You need to look up. Or perhaps you're like the Pharisees and you've allowed that concrete to get poured over your heart. And what I'd say to you this morning is... Open up. Let God begin to break open that hardness of heart. Don't stay on the outside looking in. Be connected again to the life of God. Or perhaps you're like this man with the withered hand and the withered heart. And you've allowed yourself to get on the edge as well. And instead of being passive, now at this season that we're entering into and this new day, now is the day for you not to be passive but to be active and to reach out and to say, Lord, would you touch my life again? God, I want to know you. I want to know what relationship with you is really all about. And can I just say, maybe that there's someone here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. And so you're here and that's amazing that you're here. And, but you've never done that. And you can do that for the first time as well. And I'll perhaps lead you into that a little bit later on. But wherever we are, why don't we just say to God, God, would you come? And Lord, would you pause with us and would you encounter us and Lord in such a way that you'd bring some new life there'll be many of us in this room and we've tried everything under the sun some of the younger ones we haven't tried it yet (laughs) but many of us have tried a lot of these things and we realized that Solomon was right it's all pretty meaningless to be honest there's not a lot new under the sun but our hope is not under the sun our hope is beyond the sun And so God, we say, please, would you let your life come as we eat and as we drink again today. We thank you for your new life. We're not just remembering what you've done in the past. We're experiencing your risen life now, today. And the Bible says that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. All things can become new. So I want to ask the service, if you could come out really quickly, please. And if you could come and you could take the bread and the juice and uh, hand it out to people as quickly as you can guys that would be great even a little jog and I'd like us to stand can we stand and what I'd like you to do as as the guys are, are giving them out to you I'd like you to hold on to the bread and hold on to the cup so don't eat and don't drink hold on to it and we're going to eat it together okay and while they're doing that I want to read a few verses from the Bible to you and uh, th- this This is the Apostle Paul who writes such amazing verses uh, in in the second book of Corinthians in chapter 5. And I'm going to read it from the message translation because it puts it in such a a new way that it enables us to have fresh uh, images in our mind when we hear these kind of words as well. So if you can give it out, guys, straight away, hold on to the bread, hold on to the juice, and then just listen to these words. What you're going to do in a minute is you're going to eat and drink to remind yourself about what Jesus has done and the reality of what that means in your life, okay? This is the reality, what I'm going to read to you now. Okay, so you're going to connect these two things in your mind. Paul says this, Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or by how they look. We looked at the Messiah, Jesus, that way once and we got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh Start is created new. The old life is gone, a new life begins. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and Him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with Himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We are Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. How, you ask? In Christ. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong, so we could be put right with God. Isn't that amazing? God put the wrong on Him, who never did anything wrong, so we could be put right with God. I don't know how long you've been a Christian or whether you are a Christian. But I want to tell you this, today is the day that the Lord has made. Today is the day you can experience new life. Today is the day to open up your heart and say, God, would you fill me again with your spirit and with your power and with your life? Because you make all things new.